Digital Gonzo, episode 138, recorded the 4th of July 2013, The Dark Knight Returns. Tonight marks the 10th anniversary of the last sighting of the Batman. All units, robbery in progress, Gotham City Trust. They call us a gang. Only when they die by our hands will they know Gotham City belongs to the mutants. Is that? Batman, come out here and face me like a man. What's your name? Carrie Kelly. Robin. She's smart. Brave. She's perfect. These are scary times, Bruce. It's just random violence. Goes on. I will tear him limb from limb. He's in his prime. He'll kill you. I will show you who rules Gotham City. I'm not finished yet. Young, he'll walk again. This episode, we'll be covering the recent animated movies, The Dark Knight Returns Parts 1 and 2, along with a hopefully comprehensive guide to Batman's best graphic novels, which we are ambitiously framing as a chronological guide to his comic career. With me is Gonzo Planet's resident Batman expert, David Hartrick. Hello. Hello. Hello, mate. Is this the first time you've actually been on a proper podcast? I mean, we did that bit for the breakdown. Yeah, there was the recorded interview for breakdown, but yeah, this is my virgin podcast. I knew I could lure you in with the promise of Batman comic stuff. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And the man who is solely responsible for the recent wild popularity of comicsology, Mr. Matt Ramsey. Good evening. (laughs) (laughs) The Dark Knight Returns was a four-book limited series released in a prestige format, which means thick comic with neat cardstock cover, in 1986. It was written and drawn by Frank Miller, who had, at the time, just worked on Daredevil, giving Marvel's Man Without Fear his best run so far, and creating the character of Elektra, then killing her. It was written at a time when comics were looking for a new direction. The Golden Age readers of the 1940s were now becoming decrepit, with kids of the Silver Age in the swing in 60s now wrestling the beast of parenthood, and none of them gave a toss about the simplistic adventures of their youth, or the darker, more socially relevant fare emerging from Marvel and DC. Some of the better material had tackled issues like drugs, with Harry Osborn taking some unnamed substance in Spider-Man, and Green Arrow's ward Roy Harper on the skag. Deaths were also beginning to occur, with Gwen Stacy and Norman Osborn in Spider-Man, Thunderbird and Phoenix in X-Men, Barry Allen's Flash and Supergirl in Crisis on Infinite Earths, and the aforementioned Elektra in Daredevil. But the world was ready for books written for adults, and this was one of the very first It was released from February to June 1986 in September. Watchmen appeared from the pen of Alan Moore. And before that had run its 12 issues, Miller had followed up on The Dark Knight with Year One. 
This was a triple kick to the arse that comics needed and had a profound influence on the way they were written. Audiences shifted and kids who had grown up reading Fair by Neil Adams and Dennis O'Neill, who for 16 years had been trying to claw back some brooding dignity from the Adam West TV show, suddenly started seeing Batman in a different light, or absence of it. For those who have never had the pleasure... The story concerns a 55-year-old Bruce Wayne, retired as the Bat these past 10 years, and a descent, slap-bang in the middle of the 80s, so Cold War aplenty, Reagan in the White House. Now finding on the eve of Jim Gordon's retirement as commissioner at 70 that Gotham has become a hive of street crime perpetrated by a host of slang-slinging punks named the Mutants. We shiv, she billy. You, Billy? Very Billy. Do you ship? <laughs> I don't know. You don't ship? <laughs> no, no. Oh, dude. I, I slideways, boys. These hoodlums can't be reasoned with and seem to have no motivation other than boredom. Bruce, who up until now appeared to be seeking death to end his own malaise, is reminded of Joker and finds himself craving the suit and the crunch of bone under his meaty fist. He hurtles off into the Gotham night and proceeds to knock seven shades of shit out of absolutely everyone who threatens its citizens. What follows then is a period of escalation followed by resolution involving the mutant leader, the Joker, and finally Superman. The book is available on Comixology, Kindle, and in analogue format. Frequently turns up on best books of all time lists alongside Watchmen in that curiously patronising way that literature aficionados have of recognising, even aggrandising, the first two graphic novels and ignoring the three decades worth of often far superior output since then. The films emerged last year, several months apart, sometime after The Dark Knight Rises. There was little fanfare, possibly because the episodic nature made people unwilling to splash out on two half-movies, or it made them wait for some mythical box set that they decided would inevitably emerge. I heard the same shit about Kill Bill for years, but generally, it would appear that unlike the live-action Watchmen, this being animated made it not a huge event. And if you're even halfway serious about Batman, this is a highly recommended pair of Blu-rays to acquire, just to see what they did with the story. Kevin Smith adores this book. He has done a slew of shows on the animated films and has a deep connection to the source text. But if you've neither seen nor read either, stop for a moment and listen to the following article by David Hartrick on why the book might not be the best first port of call. Hello. My name's Dave, and I've been a Batman fan for over 20 years, and... Uh, it's okay. I- Tell the group we're all friends here, and this is what we do. We share, and we rehabilitate each other, Mr. Hartrick. And I don't think Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns is the classic it's so exalted to be, to be honest. In fact, most of it is pretty poor on reflection. <gasps> I mean, how many of you actually have read it lately? This classic retelling of the Batman mythos, this definitive end, is, is it really either? In fact, how many of you would say it's a classic just because that's the wisdom of the crowd and not because you actually believe it? He's lost it. Don't get me wrong. Frank Miller can work miracles in Gotham, and Year One is a work of art. 
a near-perfect examination of how a man would set about the Herculean task of taking the fight to a city who had just brought it to his front door. But The Dark Knight Returns, it feels like psychobabble, poor artwork, too few good ideas amongst the bad, and generally it's trying a bit too hard, isn't it? Or is it just me? Ah, I mean, there's greatness in it for definite. The confrontation with Superman is definitive. It's the moment as a Batfan you've dreamed of written in a way that doesn't feel forced or ultimately pointless. We all know Batman is the only man capable of taking on this alien and pound for pound winning, but seeing it on those pages, magnificent. Mm -hmm. But let's look at that artwork. I mean, really look at it. 16 plus panels of talking heads on one page is not an effective way to move a story on any of the far too many times it's used. In Sin City, Miller plays with darkness. He uses the many shadows to evoke. Here, light is used to say simple things like, who was that? Great, another headshot with overly long dialogue. And Harvey Dent has lost all his hair. Oh. Much of Miller's best work has been done when he's not the penciler. The rest of his really good stuff is when he keeps things a little more simple than this. Yeah, a point if you think about the best art in the book, and inevitably it's the splash, the splash pages, the iconic silhouettes, the other hundred odd pages are a bit confused, and I think we we agree I'm being charitable when I say that. Mm-hmm. Now look at the structure, beginning with a Bruce Wayne who in his old age is apparently looking for a good death. At the beginning, we are to believe that a man who dedicated his life to fighting crime to the extent of only being able to use the word obsessed if we're downplaying it, put the costume away and ended his mission. Ask yourself this, would Batman ever give up under any circumstances or wouldn't he just find new ways to fight the good fight? See the Bat-robots in Kingdom Come, see Batman Beyond, or just go with your own gut feelings. Would Batman retire under any circumstances? Maybe if his back was broken, but even then... (laughs) Then, we have the whole cured, not cured Harvey Dent angle once Batman has taken flight again. Is this just not an attempt to throw a familiar at us to help ease the transition into this future Gotham without actually giving us a really good opening story to get our teeth into? Harvey's still two-faced deep down and always has been and always will be. And oh look, Bruce is still Batman deep down and always has been and always will be. Do we really need this signposted, or could we possibly have got there on our own? But the mutants, Mr. Hartrick, surely you can't argue they're not a credible future threat? Oh, they are, they are, and they were when Anthony Burgess created them, writing the novel of Clockwork Orange in the 60s, and again when Krubik put them up in scre- on screen in the 70s. I'm not accusing Miller of taking inspiration from the Droogs. I'm saying he lifted them wholesale, changed their appearance, and made Batman fight their leader in a junkyard. By this time, Batman also has a new soldier, Carrie Kelly, a new Robin for a new era. This is a kid who has parent issues. So far, so Dick Grayson and Jason Todd. Hunts down Batman and forces herself into places as as his new partner. So far, so Tim Drake, although admittedly, he came after the first publication of this. And then whilst rough around the edges initially, she goes on to prove herself to be worthy of training. So far, so Dick Grayson, Jason Todd and Tim Drake. Where's the innovation? She's a girl with glasses. Meh. I've listened to your argument so far, and while compelling, you're forgetting about the Joker. Ah, yes. The Joker. Another cured or calmed villain when we first see him. 
Ignoring the fact that Batman has retired while the Joker is still alive. Ignoring the, the fact that Gotham is in a state with a death penalty and the Joker wouldn't have escaped it this long in captivity. And Insanity Clause has its limits. Ignoring the fact that letting him on, then letting him on a television show, rehabilitated or not, is the simplest and most contrived piece of storytelling in any medium ever. Ignoring the fact now the smile has gone, we're supposed to believe the Joker would have people trying to give him another chance. And ignoring the fact the way Miller draws him means from panel to panel, he seems to put weight on and off again quicker than Barry Bethel from the Slim Fast <laughs> We are also to believe that this Batman would allow him to engineer an escape and then run riot once more. This Batman that Miller spends page after page showing his brutality and his new attitude is willing to kill the Joker, spit on him and then burn the body. Would that same Batman who thought to arm himself with the express intention of killing his nemesis not thought to do it sooner? Would he really take the chance that the, the Joker could kill a television studio full of people and then go on an indiscriminate rampage at a fun fair? Good grief. Well, you're sort of right about that. I mean, Dr. Walper was very, very naive, and there was this thing. Oh, would they even have fun fairs in 1986? <laughs> Look, there is more than just the Batman Superman fight that makes it a good read. I like the new commissioner of, Goth- of Gotham and Jim Gordon throughout. I like the depiction of a still militant with one-armed Green Arrow fighting his course to the end. But as a Batman story, it feels forced. As a political analogy of the Cold War, it's far too signposted. And as a piece of art, it's just too ugly. Good in patches. Great in one confrontational moment near the end. Classic, not for me, I'm afraid. But everyone says it's the Batman story you have to read. Yes. <laughs> yes, my friend, and X-Facts are finalists sell records, Transformers 3 made money, and people still believe there's real meat in a gangster's pasty. <laughs> Crowd. Crowd's not always right, chaps. What about the sequel, The Dark Knight Strikes Again? Don't even get me started. Well, my work here is done. No idea why I was at an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting anyway. I only came in to use the toilet. Who knew a load of old Romans knew so much about Batman anyway? <laughs> <laughs> and scene. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was a weird process. Yeah, it was a bit. <laughs> you wrote your own counter-arguments and then argued against them. Okay. <laughs> Oh dear. <laughs> oh, right, that's th- fucking amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's not often you get to write a Batman article and sneak against us pasty reference. <laughs> <laughs> not easy, let me tell you. Christ. Okay, um, let's have some not entirely dissimilar in intent listener views from the Gonzo community. Daniel Millward says, I think The Dark Knight Returns is overrated. Miller's slang doesn't work on the page or the screen. Lana Lang wouldn't get fat, and the art's ugly. The only plot device lazier than death is a fake death. Also, I love Watchmen. Alan Moore should get his head out of his hairy ass and watch it. <laughs> Read on that last bit, definitely. Yeah, but he's like I said in the piece, he's so willfully obsessed with the notion of a, of ownership or something. You know, he's he's never ever going to change. Yeah. Alex says one of my not me uh, one of my least favorite Batman books. Not stories, books. I hated the art style and layout. Would like to see the films though. That the films may change your mind because obviously they have a, a much more fluid layout. 
and um, they, they take away several other things, which we'll talk about in a bit. Andre Rodriguez says, The art is ugly, but modern in the way of its dynamics that many later 80s and 90s comics missed. Story is engaging, but better comics and Batman stories have been written since. Still good fun, if not 1986 anymore. Ben Smith says, Love them, as in both the books and the films. More comics should reserve the same treatment. I'd love to see Kingdom Come or something similar. Do you oh, guys like to see? Yeah. 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 I, well, I thought that, I mean, it's long been rumoured that they'd do Hush, and Hush would just... Oh. It, it would... When you, when you read Hush again, it's almost storyboarded in places. Yeah. You've got to stop teasing me by even talking about <laughs> it. It makes me go all tingly just thinking about them possibly doing that at some point. I, I just wish that this had done better business because if it had, they'd be fast-tracking a whole load of other ones in. But um, I, I don't even know if it even made back its budget, which was considerable for an animated film. But mm. Josh Garrity says, I actually like the films more than the source material. Better art style than the comic. The soundtrack is fantastic. And Peter Weller is a pretty damn good Batman. Thomas Parker says, I think they're quite well made and are a good way to spend a few hours. However, I do not like the representation of Superman in them. As a Superman fan, I know that he could have quite easily destroyed Batman at any point. But my Batman-obsessed friends use this to say that Bat will beat Superman every time. Of course he will. Because he has a special sponge. <laughs> uh, Tony Mead, finally. I love the films. The performance from Peter Weller and the score are awesome. And Carrie Kelly is my very favourite Robin. Very faithful to the books. So any problems I have with the story are actually problems with the books. Like the depiction of Superman and Selina Kyle, to be specific. I'm not a huge fan of the crazy Batman take on the character that kind of started in the 80s with this depiction. But overall, it's a great story, and, and the adaptation definitely gets its due in both content and spirit. Um, did you chaps notice any era-appropriate comics within the films, just on comic stands? No. You didn't? Not off the top of my head, no. Right, I spotted V for Vendetta, Watchmen, Swamp Thing, Crisis on Infinite Earths, The Flash, and Justice League of America. So next time you watch them, just watch out in the shops and... Uh, specifically when, when Batman's dressed as an old woman, there's a lot of them in, in a very brief space of time. Because there's some in the shop itself. Ah, yes. And then uh, when Superman flies past a newsstand and the, uh, the, the copies of The Flash sort of rustle. And Lyra said, was that the Flash? I went, nah, you saw some blue. Right, and I also noticed a boatload of ties with The Dark Knight Rises. How many can you gents remember? Now, everyone listening to this needs to see The Dark Knight Rises. If you haven't seen The Dark Knight Rises, I suggest you stop now, go see Rises, and then come back to this, because otherwise we're going to probably spoil Rises with our talking about tying in with Returns. So... Spoilers for The Dark Knight Rises after this point. Ready? Okay. How many bullet points? I've got like one, two, three, four, like 15 things. Is the return to, to action after a period of, of absence? Of exactly. Yep. Effectively retirement. It's around about a decade absence. It's ten, 10 years in this. I think it was nine years in Rises. Eight. Yeah. Eight. Oh, eight. Oh, yeah, man. Not but, only that, he's even walking with the cane, isn't he? Yep. That's another one I put. Uh, Bruce... Uh, Bruce is now old and, and damaged and uh, it has a moustache 
he uses a leg brace or he uses a, a basically a contraption to help him uh, walk around. A uh, magic yeah. arm brace slash leg brace. <laughs> yeah. It cures broken bones. <laughs> yeah. He returns to action um, during a, a chase between cops and criminals, a car chase. Yes, absolutely. Harvey Dent is one of the principal reasons he's pulled out of retirement in Rises. It's because the secret of Harvey Dent's getting out even long after his death. Uh, but in this, it's because literally Harvey Dent's got out. You could argue that there's uh, the mutants and uh, obviously a gang which are taken over. You could argue is paralleled with uh, uh, Bane's gang. Um, Absolutely. Taken over. Not quite yeah. the same, but it's, it's certainly an inspiration. Yeah. And uh, the mutant leader himself seems to be very much parallel with, with yeah. Bane. He's, uh, neither the Bane in the comics nor the mutant leader have the same mind as uh, Rise's Bane, who, by the way, is my second favourite uh, comic book antagonist of all time now. Really love Tom Hardy's Bane. Alfred even says at one point, this is a young man. Yeah. You know, yeah. He, he will kill you, Master Bruce. I suppose there's also, I mean, the whole, if you want to go right to the end, it's the whole notion of the, the possibly fake death, depending on what you choose to believe about the end of Rises as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, obviously but, at the end of this one, it's, there's no ambiguity at all, either he's definitely not dead. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. then they go on to make, do the god-awful sequel. Yeah, we will talk but about that. publicly, oh. he is dead. Yeah. As as yeah. Everyone yeah. else is convinced, concerned. Not just Batman dead, but outed dead. as the Batman. Bruce yeah. Wayne was yeah. the Batman. Batman is dead, and that's what everyone thinks at the end of Rises as well. Yeah. Yeah. There's also a civil war in Gotham. You remember the bit in the, uh, when they're fighting in the yep. streets and Batman shows up on a horse? Yep. Um, there's the, the sonic gun that he pulls out and shoots Superman with. He actually uses that um, when he first turns up to chase Bane. Oh, by the way, you want to talk about time compression in a movie? When Bane says to, when they're at the stock exchange and he goes, How long till the upload? And the guy goes, Nine minutes. And he goes, Time to go mobile. And they get on motorbikes and ride out. Apparently nine minutes later, when Bruce is looking at this sort of iPad type thing, he goes, Bing, you're now broke. That was actually like only four and a half minutes in the film. (laughs) But it goes from being broad daylight to fucking middle of the night. (laughs) <laughs> nine minutes he drives into a parking lot it's day he drives out of a parking lot it's night that is some powerful gun he's got it turns <laughs> off the sun <laughs> anyway um, the helicopter flying away and exploding during the two-face incident yeah, uh, very like the same very shot. Like the Harvey Dent. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, female sidekick. Now this one's a bit more subtle. When Carrie Kelly's watching him get the crap beaten out of him by the mutant leader, that's Catwoman watching him get the crap beaten out of him by Bane. But Catwoman doesn't help him. Carrie does. Batman survives, or doesn't get his back broken. Yeah. Uh, Bruce looking for death, that is another theme that uh, turns up. We'll be talking about that as a theme, the uh, main uh, side of it. Alfred being very worried about this fact. Uh, the Shurikens. This was the first time in the book that Batarangs were suddenly not just big boomerangs that would bounce off dudes' heads and come straight back to Batman's hand. These were little blades he'd throw to embed in people's hands. Now, this was Batman Begins, but um, basically from this point on, Batman's Batarangs suddenly became Shurikens. And Jim Gordon retires. That's basic. That, that's another major uh, co- component of um, Batman uh, being important for the city at that stage. Oh, and there's also um, two more things, and these are literal homages. Um, there's a bit where 
one of the mutants shoots at Batman while he's in the shadows, and Batman sort of tops to the left, and then the right, and then he's a, he's really, really close, and it's like um, he's an agent or something. But that's actually in Dark Knight Rises as well. He's under the underground in the tunnels. And the yeah. last one is the old cop saying to the young cop, you're in for uh, a yeah, show. show. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, pe- people have said, well, maybe they should make a live-action Dark Knight Returns. They've made it. It's called <laughs> The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> it would, I mean, also, live-action, it would be awful. Yeah. Absolutely awful. I mean, can you imagine, to take it down to brass tacks, can you imagine basically an old man doing this sort of yeah. thing? You just, it, there is no sense of believ- believability at all. Well, so this, this was on the cards. They were going to do it before Batman begins. Yeah, with Clint Eastwood was Clint Eastwood. lined up at one point. I mean, <laughs> this is like around, like not long after his Unforgiven era. So he's an old man at this stage and thin, I might add. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it would. It honestly, it were. It'd have been repugnant. Even Frank Miller himself uh, mentioned that he's noticed Batman becoming a bit more realistic in certain uh, media, and he's talking about the Nolan films, but he thinks that's ridiculous and that Batman deserves to be stylized. Certainly his Batman deserves to be stylized, because, yeah, as you say, watching it in straightforward live action would be fairly abysmal. Yeah, but I can understand that from him, because he's created, uh, with this and with All-Star... And he sort of created his own world that he believes the goddamn Batman should live in, yeah. you know. And so I understand what he's getting at there, but it's, it's Frank Miller doing what Frank Miller does, which is believing that his work is definitive and everything else is okay. <laughs> yeah, he's quite uh, humble, is our Frank Miller. Um, <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Pointed list of themes that the Batman Dark Knight Returns films and indeed book contains. So let's dive right in. So we'll start with Bruce's psychosis, which uh, manifests itself at the beginning, where he's in the racing car and he crashes almost on purpose. What do you make of this? He's racing the car. He's pushing it beyond the limits uh, because he's he's a adrenaline junkie. It's pure and simple. He's he needs something he needs to put his life on the line to get any any reward out of anything he does he, he needs everything he needs everything to be thrilling including his death that's why he's after you know what he, he terms a good death yeah I, I, I going back to what you said about where why would Batman ever retire I think back back when it was written the Batman story and the Bat family weren't anywhere near as complicated as they are now and you could maybe just about see that happening, but these days, current Batman, uh, or indeed just prior to the New 52, there's no way he would ever stop. He couldn't. No. He would die first. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't really go into details as to why he retired, does it? It, it just it, it just starts in media res, and he's, it's there, and uh, the mutants have 
have already become a major threat. It never goes into details yeah. as to why that happened. And I, I just kind of figured that basically Gotham was, was, uh, no longer the, the horrible pit of evil that it was. Mm. And so he finally felt that he could, he was getting too old and he didn't really have anyone that he needed to fight because between him and, and Gordon and, and everybody else, they <clears> cleaned the place up. And then because they weren't there anymore, that allowed the mutants to actually develop uh, to the point, you know, gradually uh, to the point where they were a major problem and there was no one left to stop them. Yeah. That's the only reason I think he would have stopped is because he, he no longer had to do it. It would appear that Dick is alive because I think uh, Gordon says, do you ever speak to Dick? And Dick turns yeah. up in the next book. So, but when they mention Jason, it's like, it, it you know, never again. And the implication is that Jason has died. Now, this was actually several years before Jason actually died in the book. So I guess yeah. that sort of tipped the hat, ironically, to that. Uh, but it, it is possible that Jason's death was enough to, for Bruce to go, never again, not doing this anymore. Yeah, well, it suggested that, exactly as Matt said, it suggested that he, he's put everybody away. Everybody has grown old. You know, the, the super criminals of old aren't there. Yeah. And Gotham is effectively safe. It's it's almost like it gets to a point where he feels like he's achieved his mission, and then what what brings him back are the rumblings of the mutants coming again. And Actually, he just, you know, can't pull himself away from that. It's quite possible that what we didn't see is after Jason's death, Bruce basically just pulled out all the stops and became the brutal Batman we see in this. Yeah. And just rather than you know being the detective anymore, he just found everyone one at a time, beat the fuck out of them, and then threw them into Arkham. And then they threw away the keys. And then Arkham became Arkham Home for the Emotionally Troubled. Yeah. Which actually uh, leads me to the right-wing leanings of this book. Hmm. Frank Miller, I don't know which direction he leans, whether he's... uh, I I know Alan Moore is kind of a sort of an anarchist, but Frank Miller appears to be under the impression that all criminals are men and rapists. (laughs) <laughs> and that the only real recourse is for someone to find these men and beat them to a bloody pulp until they stop moving. Uh, hippies get short shrift in this. If you uh, notice Carrie Kelly's parents like, dude, didn't those marches do anything? Well, give me another hit on that. It's like, all you hippies do is smoke your bongs and do peace marches. You don't know what it's like to really get your knuckles dirty on these fuckers. <laughs> um, everyone else who who plays victim to these um, criminals is just sort of encouraging them to go. Oh no, don't hurt me! Um, yeah, uh, women. Jesus Christ! Every single woman in in Frank Miller's eyes is pretty much either a whore already or on the way to being a whore. Yeah, and the the one if you notice what he does with Carrie Kelly, who is in effect you know a, a hero. He makes her look almost boyish. Yeah. It's short hair, it's glasses, it's a figure with no distinct lumps and bumps, if you like. Well, she's, it, she's it, 13, so arguably she isn't, she's still a, yeah, uh, she's not, a kid. Physically, she's still a child. She's not a whore so, yet. No. Yeah, and she doesn't that's have the equipment, if you like, but. Because, because she's essentially going to be good though, he mm. can't, you know, he draws her in such a way that she, you can, you can look at Carrie Kelly and you can interpret her. As you know, to be frank, as as a boy, 
in on a lot of you know on a lot of levels to be perfectly honest yeah. he is i mean he is he's, he's quite a known misogynist i mean if you just take take away from this and read anything in sin city and it is exactly like uh, you, you know populated every, entirely by women who use sex uh, to get what they want yeah and every single one of them is six foot tall wears high heels all the time wears has swastikas on their boobs uh, yeah has impossible <laughs> cleavage you know it, and it has a line of men trailing around the block chasing after them it's mm. i mean the, the it's, thing- it's, it's 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 only refreshing insofar as he hates men too yeah, like they're all rapists yeah. or whores. So ultimately, whore is slightly above rapist. <laughs> yeah, in the general hierarchy of the of the, of the maniac. <laughs> but it's an unhealth, like it's a Travis Bickle worldview, yeah. and it's depressing to read. Like that when when he wrote Selena Carl, she's like, well, obviously she's gonna, you know, she's gonna run whores, and not even like he calls it an escort service. But there's like stained mattresses behind curtains in that yeah <laughs> in yeah. that place. You see, this is this is not an objection but this is one of the problems i have with the book in that start to finish first page to last it is extremely mean-spirited mm. you know it there's not an ounce there's not a glimmer of sunlight anywhere apart from occasional glimpses in Carrie and yeah. the, the very last panels where we find out he's faked his death and he's that he's got the sons of Batman in a cave, yeah. and gets a lot of mileage gonna, back with that ending. You know, it, it is unrelentingly joyless at times, and it it's it's so of its time. I find that because it's so of the era, and because it does suck the life out of you as you're reading it, it, it is difficult in places to to get through. You know, and the the film tonally and pace wise is so much easier to to just sit down and enjoy to be perfectly honest oh, yeah. with you yeah. you know there's there's whole pages of the book which you will read from start to finish and and just get nothing from absolutely nothing from but because of the pace of an animated film it's it's pretty joyful to see it on screen you know yeah i, I, I agree actually i i, I it, the films aren't depressing they're exhilarating I, I don't know why, because it's, it's pretty much everything in it. The thing they remove, and Kevin Smith talked about this a lot during his first uh, podcast commentary on the first film, is the monologue. Yeah. Throughout it, you got this constant sincere monologue of like, the wind is a baptism on my chest. I yeah. feel his spine break beneath my fingers. And it's like, this is just creepy reading it the whole there, way through. Well, the thing is, there's literally hundreds of words devoted to that that you could go in and edit them down to less less than a quarter of what's there. Some of it is just so unnecessary. How many times can you say he's enjoying being back out of retirement? In how many different ways, you know? And I know this is coming off like I, you know, I hate the book. I don't hate the book. There is a lot of merit in it. I read it once every couple of years pretty religiously but it's not but you wince while you're doing it yeah there's whole there's whole moments and panels and monologues and speeches that you just get to the end of and you just think oh Oh, everyone who works in the media in this is a moron as well they're like just on tv going "Ah, i don't know anything about anything yeah that's that's part of the right wing uh leanings of this which is which is very much uh evidence of i think frank miller's personal viewpoints uh the 
the the media are just you know the media and the the psychologists the, the people at Arkham Arkham Home for the emotionally now let me tell you one one group of people <laughs> who don't know anything about mental illness psychologists <laughs> yeah but yeah. but let me yeah. tell you something about someone who does know about mental illness Frank Miller what do you do with <laughs> mental people punch them until they stop <laughs> but that theme is throughout you know who <laughs> policemen are incompetent and don't know what they're doing you know. Women are just waiting to be raped. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's, like I said, it's Frank Miller being Frank Miller. You know, he lives on an island and nobody else comes close. And that is reflected in some of his work. Animation works so much better than live action though. Yeah. Because you just sort of, it, it it obviously shares a lot of similarities with uh, the Robocop, which came just a couple of years afterwards. So the casting of Peter Weller is so perfect. Originally, when I saw it, I was like, oh, why wasn't it Michael Ironside? He did such a good job in that little... There was a snippet in one of the animated series episodes called Legends of the Dark Knight, where they uh, like they took a little couple of scenes from this, and, yeah. uh, and Ironside did a, a cracking job at, at that. You don't get it, son. This isn't a trash heap. It's an operating table. And I'm a surgeon. Gotta love him. Thematically, Peter Weller being in there, and the music is very Robocop as well. It's got this kind of that music may definitely help it as well. It's got this kind of an epic sweep of dun, 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 which obviously, if you're just reading it, you don't get those emotions conveyed in other ways. Well, they, that's exactly it. You've almost just summed up a lot of what I feel. You, you can, on an animated film, you can make a situation epic. Mm. You, you can make, you know, the fight with the mutant leader, you can turn that into a real crowning pivotal moment and a, a, a glorious thing. Whereas if you just go panel for panel for panel for panel, you know, it, it, it loses something. It, it, there's, there's times when you read the book where it almost stops dead on the page. You know, it, it, it really does. Well, it looks like it's been inked with crayons as well. Yeah, yeah. And you just, you know, you, you can't afford dead time in an animated film, and it shows. Speaking of psychosis, one of the things that did actually interest me uh, and, and was actually quite sharp for uh, Frank Miller was uh, Harvey Dent. When he has his face healed, he internalizes all of that ugliness. So he decides that his his ugly side is on the inside now, and his... Yeah, his perfect side is on the outside, so he be, he's still two-faced. Just everything horrible is is internalized, and well, so he gets to do all the terrible things, but look nice while he's doing it. Yeah, they, he believes he's he's been effectively completed. The two halves have been made whole. Yeah, but he's seeing it the opposite way round to you know as the world sees it. Yeah. Well, again, it's Frank Miller <laughs> revealing some of himself because he he basically makes the 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 staff at Arkham both with uh, uh, Harvey Dent and with the Joker really quite namby-pamby sort of you know your typical liberal bleeding heart type that will just want to believe the best of people even though these two characters are you know have done horrific things obviously that's you know not a, a realistic point of view, but that's that's what he makes them out to be. There's like, oh yes, you're better now. Obviously, you say you're better, then you must be better. Please go into this television studio. We know you won't do anything to all these people. Uh, <laughs> he does. He does make them out to be uh, really just just 
almost the the psycho the, the the psychiatrists are almost deluding themselves yeah. that they can fix these people because they want to feel that they can fix them. The, you know, and and they don't then do any, they they just uh, basically see what they want to see in their patients. So uh, you have uh, Harvey. You can't fix someone's mind by fixing their face. It's not as simple as that. Yet yeah, that's exactly what they do. He says he's better. Okay, fine. Off you go. Yeah. Their assumption appears to be, well, you were fine, then you had your face hurt, and you weren't fine. So if we fix your face, you're fine. Well, no, because if you know Two-Face at all, you'll know that he wasn't fine before then. He had deep-down anger issues, and they only surfaced because of that. But that doesn't mean that they go away. But you, you gotta call it for what it is. It's just a massive plot contrivance. It's a way to get Harvey Dent out into the real world. Yeah. For Batman to come back and fight someone familiar. That's, that's all it is. It's as, as simple as that really. And it's just Frank Miller trying to find a way that he convinces himself is, is good enough to do it. You know, it, it's, I mean, again, it sounds like I'm really railing against it. I'm not, but it's just things like that. You know, I can I can watch that in an animated film, and I can buy that, and I'm perfectly happy about that. Mm. But in a book, literally layered with hundreds of words and panel on panel on single pages, telling me how deeply I'm supposed to look into this, and to then just throw something a, sim- a simple contrivance like that in, don't think that we're not going to spot it. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. well, the thing is, I mean, they could have just had a good old-fashioned jailbreak. You know. The- yeah. Could have been busted open. Harvey and the Joker could have escaped. Uh, Harvey crops up first, and the Joker crops up later. I mean, it could have been as simple as that, yeah, <laughs> which would have uh, been an awful lot easier, I think. But. but it's there to exemplify. Hey, you know what? The authorities are all pussies. Yeah, <laughs> but it's also it also that doesn't give Frank Miller a chance to tell people in the eighties what he thinks about the rise of therapists and and therapy culture at the time you know which is that they're all useless you know and there's another group of people who dislike therapists they're called scientologists (laughs) not a good good group to join there frank (laughs) but you might meet tom cruise (laughs) got away one against the other Another thing I, uh, I do like is uh, bringing it back to the Batcave, and this was one of the first times that they actually showed uh, young Bruce and the um, the murder of his parents. Was it was it the first time ever that they'd shown Bruce's parents, or was it was that actually all the way back in the thirties that Bob Kane actually originally did that? No, there was there was various depictions to be honest. Oh, okay. with you. but this this was it, it was a turning point because it. <laughs> Because of the unrelated, unrelenting miserableness of it, that was the turning point. It ushered in the dark age because while it wasn't always, you know, a barrel of laughs, there was a, that more went on behind the curtain than you got to actually see. Whereas this was the turning point where, right, let's put it, everything on the page. Let's show everything in its full gory detail. You know, you, if you, if you watch the, if you look, read some of the Adam stuff, you know, you, you'll see Batman fighting someone and there's no real sort of impact to the punch. You might get somebody with a like good old-fashioned 70s shiner at the end of the, the fight. But after this, this was a turning point where, you know, if somebody punched somebody else, there was an impact, there was a, a result and an outcome. You know, it was... You can't really understate the impact it had across the industry from that point of view, to be perfectly honest with you. 
another aspect of the cave being Bruce's strength when he uh, his medical procedure is to disappear into the darkness and gain strength, effectively totemic strength from the bat that dwells within. That's uh, another um, sharply observed uh, aspect of the book, which I actually really like and comes across really, really well in the, in the film. One thing I really don't like are the sons of the bat. The when they yeah basically a bunch of mutants who don't wouldn't be able to find shoes in a shoebox. A bunch of morons adorn their faces with Batman's t- uh, you know face paint and said we own this city now. Don't they actually in the in the book they like chuck a grenade into someone's handbag? Yeah. It, because, because what? She's a hooker or something. It's, I can't just remember, to be honest with you. Either but, way, they're, they're committing horrible crimes in order to fight crime. To, you know, even this Batman should be tracking every one of them down and punching those face-painted bats off their faces. Well, the yeah. issue that I had with it was, basically, they go from being the mutants, the leader gets defeated, and they then basically they change their allegiance to Batman, but they carry on being basically the same gang. Yeah. Cause all they're yeah. after is just chaos and violence and fighting. They're, they're not, don't have any particular aims in mind. They just like being in a gang and I can get that. That's fine. That, that made sense. But then when they switch to being on Batman's side and doing suddenly not being criminals and fight, just fighting crime, it's a real, it's like he just flips a switch. And I think you know, that didn't make a lot of sense to me that he would then take, people who should be his enemies the people he should be stopping and suddenly just with one inspirational sentence makes them his own soldiers and then entrusts the the safety of gotham city to them in the future that didn't really sit very well with me to be honest that was uh, a bit too much of a switch yeah the the only the only time i actually liked them was the very end the last panel because that made more sense that bruce probably would find a group of them you know, he'd, he'd go through the droogs one by one. The droogs, the, the sons of Batman. <laughs> we slices and dices. That's, that's a Freudian slip. But the, um, he would select a, a new army in effect because that's his worldview at that time. But you're absolutely right. You know, it just, it, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And they just, again, call it for what it is. They just come across as a bunch of annoying little fuckers. Okay, so uh, Sons of the Bat, annoying little fuckers. <laughs> yeah, you've got a title for this podcast. But they do shiv. <laughs> you, you do billy that they shiv. They, they, they are Especially, very billy and shivy. Yes. No, unless the spud's into it. If the spud's not into it, they don't shiv. Yeah, I wonder if it'd be into Clockwork Orange. <laughs> Tonight, we are the law. I am the law. You act like a criminal. We are criminals. We always have been. Look, one of these days, someone with authority is going to tell me to come stop you. And when that happens... I hereby issue a warrant for the Batman's arrest. When that happens, may the best man win. He's a murderer now. Jim, if you've talked to him, you have to let me know. He and I don't talk anymore. You have gotten old. (laughs) I made you lose control. (laughs) All the people I've murdered. It ends tonight.
Is he dead? The, the second part is, is significantly um, ups the stakes and it, it feels much more exhilarating. So the first part seems to be mostly about Bruce returning to action. And there's that really excellent um, little uh, one flash shot where the guy goes, huh? The, the, the cop looks up and Batman jumps across the sky and there's that <laughs> lightning bolt. And Lyra said, that's my favorite bit. <laughs> and I can't believe I sat down and watched this with Lyra because having read the book I'd always thought oh this cannot be watched with Lyra but it's only a PG-13 and I made her look away when the Joker killed that guy with the coffee cup and uh, I also during uh, some of the Tunnel of Love stuff which was really fucking grim but she was like yanking my hand away going no I want to see I was like no 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 this is the worst Joker ever <laughs> he is abominable so let's talk about the Joker I actually uh, mostly agree this this isn't even Joker to me he's just a maniac yeah that, this is obviously before Mark Hamill got his claws into him but uh, carry on I, I think this, this is something that the book and the film actually gets right in that you would never ever be able to cure the Joker it would always live within but what you could do is take some of the laughter away and you're just left with a, a like you say, an utter, utter maniac, even more so than, than before. Mm. So that, that to me, I always, I always quite liked that aspect of it. Mm. But the consistency in the film is far better than the consistency in the book, to be honest with you. Yeah. What's different? I just, in, in the book, it's the artwork again. The, the artwork with the Joker in particular, I, I mean, I make a joke about it in that article, but when you read back through the book now, it, there is literally, sometimes he looks particularly drawn in the face and like he's almost become, you know, a, a manic depressive. Well, he may have been cured of the laughter, he's gone completely the other way. Then he seems to, when his smile comes back, he seems to put about six stone on overnight, you know, yeah. and he suddenly becomes a, a typical Frank Miller, beefy, you know, the Joker should be sort of a, a wiry, live type villain. Yeah. And yeah. you know, at one point when they when they're actually fighting in the book, he's he's gone from when he's in the um, when he's in the asylum. You know, yeah. he's he's still quite the pasty, thin, quite weak Joker. So yeah. when they get to the Tunnel of Love, it's almost like two middleweight boxers going at each other. Yeah. Whereas in the film, they've kept the size and the look much more consistent and it's the, it, it, the prob half the problem with The Dark Knight Returns is the amount of times I've read the book you, you once you see something like that you almost can't unsee it so when you read it again you have to read it and go, oh yeah there's that bit that annoys me yeah there's that other bit that annoys me so I think the film handles it better but the Miller does actually get I think the, uh, the whole idea of what the Joker's become at that point fair, pretty spot on in this world, you know? In this world, yeah. yeah. I, I, the way I explained it to Lyra, I said, Batman hasn't been around for ten years, so the Joker there is bored. He is catatonic with boredom. Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly it. When you see him in the asylum, you know, he, he is... It's that, that lovely moment at the end of the first film, you know, where he just... He, he, 
the smile comes out and he says, darling, that, you see that sort of, that transformation, uh, mm. and I really like that. I really, I do really like that in the book. It's just the way it's depicted, you yeah. know. Interestingly, tying in with Batman Breakdown, the way that ends, for those of you who haven't le- yet listened to Batman Breakdown, go listen to it. Um, the, how Joker decides, oh, you know what? You couldn't, do it, could you? I gave you every fucking incentive and you still wouldn't. Okay, I'll do it then. <laughs> that is creepy as all hell the way he does it. It's, just, it's even more effective in animation because you actually have to see the frames in between. Yeah, the, the other thing the, I love in the book, I absolutely love the fact that Batman spits on him and then sets his body on fire. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. That... The, the juxtaposition and not being able to finish him off, but then once he has been finished off, giving him a final send-off, you know, ah, superb. Uh, that, that is utterly, utterly superb. I'm sorry, just eating a peanut butter cup. <laughs> <laughs> oh, professionalism everywhere. <laughs> Speaking of annoying little fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> what the flying dolls that talk and sass back? Oh, yeah. uh, they talk in the book, don't they? That they don't talk in, the, in this. Again, the, the dolls lift right out of this. They didn't need to be there. Joker could just have set off a grenade in some way. I never really got the dolls because I couldn't. I, I always wondered whether that was a Batman villain that I'd missed that had some kind of control over puppets or something. Is that guy supposed to be Toy Man? No, I don't know. Well, I, I've no idea who it is, but I because I, I don't know all of the Batman villains because when I first read this was the first Batman comic I'd ever read pretty much there's you know a few years you know, five five years ago I guess and you don't know Condiment King it's <laughs> <laughs> real folks don't even go there Alex you know my love of the old villains and it's really silly stuff I, he's, I think it's an amalgam basically there's you know part ventriloquist part toy man you know, there's a whole sort of amalgam of, of, again, it's a little bit of a contrivance. It's a, it's a way to be able to do it and have the, the page in the book where, you know, the Joker's flying out on the back of one of these dolls yeah, while the gas is going out everywhere. It's, it's, it, you've got to do it one way or another. And I mean, is it any less contrived than the, the Joker just carrying a grenade with him and chucking it in? You know, it's, mm. it's, or hypnotizing do, lipstick. Yeah. Well, this is it. You have to do it somehow, don't you? So, actually, the hypnotizing lipstick, I do sort of understand it would be like some kind of like sodium pentothal or something, which would basically weaken uh, any willpower you have and make you very, very open to suggestion. Roofy lipstick, if you will. <laughs> but you've got to, with something like that, the leap of faith I always take. But wouldn't that also work against the Joker? Sorry, carry on. <laughs> but the, the leap of faith I always take with something like that is, you know, the company keeps the other villains. They would, at some point, they would work together on some of their things and think, hey, if we combine this and this, you know, we could have this as an end result. So I, I never, I never feel the need to, I never feel there's like a big leap of faith or anything there for me. I just, I can accept stuff like that. It's other stuff that just winds me up. Well, isn't that Poison Ivy's lipstick? Yeah, well, that, that's exactly it. So yep. you, you would just make the leap of faith that at some point the Joker and Poison Ivy have, mm. have worked together over some nefarious scheme somewhere and that's the legacy. Why does Joker dress her up like Wonder Woman? 
Well, more to the point, how does Dresser Joker, Joker dress her up like <laughs> Wonder Woman? Yeah, yeah I, to be honest with you, I think it come, that comes back to Frank Miller again. What point is Miller making? That he likes Wonder Woman. William. <laughs> you know. I know was, Wonder Woman is also a whore. I'm not sure yeah. what he's making there, possibly, but... Maybe that it, Wonder Woman, it's a whore's costume. Pleasant. Okay. Mm. Good to know. Joker, you've asked for a chance to share your side of things. I'm told you've killed about 600 people. How exactly does your side of that go? Stop right there. This is a sensitive man, and I won't have him being harassed. That's all right. I want people to get me. All right, then. That's why I'm going to kill everyone in this room. Okay. I think that's a little more insight than we had in mind. It's okay. He doesn't really mean that. He's just trying to ease the tension. Funny way to go about it. You have to remember, this man isn't responsible for those killings. He's merely a victim of the Batman's psychotic obsession. I thought I was Batman's psychotic obsession. So you think the Batman's the real sicko here? Without a doubt. He's an obsessive-compulsive, narcissistic, hero-complexed sociopath. I would love a shot at him as a patient. Would your guests get to keep these? <laughs> sure. You do whatever you want with it. We got a closet full of them. So long as you won't miss it. The one thing about the Batman versus Joker denouement that I really like, aside from the fact that it absolutely had to happen, you cannot end the Dark Knight's career and not also at the same time end the Joker's career. And the fact that Joker punches his own ticket, which means that Batman never actually has to straight out kill him. Well, the Joker wins. Yeah, which is a good way of the Joker winning and Batman still not crossing that line. Yeah. Well, you, the, you see, the other thing is... When you know the full story, you know the Batman's triumph comes later, you know, so you can, you can almost allow the Joker this win. Yeah. Uh, but the other thing I really like is the fact that J Joker shivs him. Because <laughs> that, th that's the, that's the scary thing about fighting this wiry thin guy. Joker is not the least bit physically imposing. What he tends to do is when Bruce is disoriented for whatever reason, kick him when he's down. Yeah. That's what he does. And um, then uh, some inopportune time when Bruce knocks him to one side, the Joker will inevitably go flick and his knife will come out of his sn sleeve and then he'll start trying to shiv Batman. And that's really scary. And also, the film gives you a medium to really show the brutality of that. Because, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, you know, you really... You see him almost going maniac. And I think he shivs him about four or five times. In the book, just, yeah. yeah. They yeah, cut it down to uh, just two or three in the film. But you see him really almost sort of go wild, you know, and lash out. Yeah. I love, I, to be fair, I, I love this sequence in the book, but I also love it in the film as well. I think the film just captures the sort of the essence of it as well as, you know, as well as scenes panel for panel, you have to capture the spirit and the essence of something. And the film just gets it so right in this bit. I do think ultimately, though, that the reason this doesn't feel like the Joker to me is that he just runs around massacring people left, right and centre and doesn't even stop to make jokes about it or to gloat about it or do anything. He's just doing it just casually, uh, which detracts from the character itself. It's almost like he should milk every single needless, pointless death to give it a point, which is to goad Batman himself. So, you know, stop and say, Batman, I'll do it. 
too slow and then run off and, and just keep going. And um, it's it's almost like he's losing. There isn't there aren't any punchlines. But don't you think that I I completely understand that? But don't you think the whole point is that the Joker's lost his punchlines? Yeah. At this point, you know where Batman's gone away and Batman has come back and ignored him. Remember, that's the biggest slap in the face for the Joker. You know, Batman's back in action. Yeah. And the Joker would expect, in the Joker's mind, that, you know, he would expect Batman to, to almost come and ask him permission. You know, mm-hmm. his punchlines have gone. That's, that's the whole point. You know, he's, he's not the man he was before. And I must admit, that's the aspect of it I actually really, really like. Now that you put it like that, that actually does make a lot of sense. It's, it's the same, same as, you know, and he quits now without consulting me? Yeah. You know, it, it's, I love the fact that there's actually been some thought put into it and he hasn't just come back in a purple suit with a funny hat on Doing the same thing, and, yeah. and a joker flower. He is literally just a man. He's, he's been, the smile may be there on his face, but it's been stripped from his, his psyche. Yeah. So all you're left with is the maniac. Well, it's almost as though without Batman, the Joker didn't have any way of being the Joker, which is why yeah. he was just basically almost went went catatonic in in Arkham because without Batman, he isn't the Joker. Uh, and, and when Batman comes back, the Joker sees a way to to get back to what he was. But yeah, what, ten ten years of being locked up in, in Arkham and being catatonic, and he just locked get up that. in his own head. Imagine being in there for a decade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but again, because cause this was something that I read um, without any you know, length, of, well, with no real knowledge of Batman other than the, um, the the 60s TV show and the Burton and Schumacher movies is really all I knew of Batman back then when I first read it. I didn't have a clear picture of who the Joker was other than this, you know, there's someone with a with a, a smile on his face that he couldn't, that was just always there and who was a, a, a vicious maniac i didn't have any other uh mental image of of the joker's character so for me it, it wasn't really an issue because that's basically what you see in this he's just a maniac with a fixed grin so actually since this is not our agreed upon classic batman it kind of makes sense that it's not the agreed upon classic joker either it would actually be mismatched either way if you had your, your conroy batman versus this joker or vice versa yeah, it's a pocket universe, isn't it? Yeah. That's, that's exactly what it is. You've, you've got to pick up this and I wouldn't say year one. Year one is, is canon, but all-star Batman is, that's where this, this begins. You know, this is the same character. If they ever- Batman begins. Batman <laughs> begins. Yeah, well. <laughs> Shit, uh, bloody hell. Just, uh, is the implication that he's always been that fat or has anyone, like, I, I just <laughs> felt like Edna Mode going, my god, you've gotten fat. Um, <laughs> he finally comes up. He, he, Kevin Smith points out at one point he runs like a desert bird. He's like road runner. It's like how can a guy with that frame run like that? It's all muscle memory. It's, it, no, he, he doesn't even. It's not like you know you've got no cartilage in your knees left anymore. He just literally, as long, yeah, like even though he'd just been eating pies for the, for ten years, same as Selena. Um, he, it's it's all muscle mass somehow. Yeah. They do cover that briefly in the book as well, don't they? They, they, he talks about muscle memory and things coming back to him and almost like his limbs are moving without any, you know, he's not thinking about his actions at one point and that's what he loves. 
You cost me hours of work last night. Then I'll get right to it. You have to go back into retirement. You're upsetting too many people. Mm-hmm. Why do you always have to be like this? You played right into their hands last time. When the parents' groups and the subcommittees came after us, you're the one they pointed to. You act like a criminal. <laughs> We are criminals, Clark. We always have been. You're still one, too. Only difference is you have a boss. And you answer to no one. You know, we almost had this talk ten years ago, when you wouldn't go along with the deal we made. Everyone else agreed. Diana went back to her people. Hal left the planet. And Oliver, did he agree? That's not how I wanted that to go. He was all torn up about it, too. He made it necessary. Like... Like I'm about to. Do you even remember why you retired? I remember. Look, either shut it down or one of these days someone with authority is going to tell me to come stop you. And when that happens... When that happens, may the best man win. I have to go. We'll finish this later. No hurry. Okay, which brings us to the closer. Bruce versus Kal-El and Batman oh. versus Superman. Oh, yes. Yeah, these, this is my favorite bit as well, because ultimately, beyond the Joker, this is the Superman that we know, but he's been twisted and used, and the way I best described it to Lyra, he's become a bully. Or even yes. worse, a lackey to a bully. He's the guy that leans out from behind the bully and goes, yeah. <laughs> well, he is, he's, he's basically, he's a political prisoner, mm. and he's... You know, Batman knows that, and he never lets him forget it. Yeah. You know, I just oh, let's let's go. On. I love this bit. Okay, so um, first off, we get to see Kal-El as Fabio, just sort of standing there with his shirt <laughs> split down to the waist, <laughs> with an eagle landing on his arm in this uh, brilliantly cartoonish way, and uh, and then there's this kind of a "Don't get in my way" exchange going on. Oh, hang on, it's Peter Waller, isn't it? Don't get in my way. <laughs> and I was trying to work out while watching it for the third time why he beats the crap out of Superman it, beyond simply I'm pissed off that you've become such a joke of your former self and that you've actually been used by the American government to help discourage superheroes because that's another thing that they, they rarely go into in either of the films there's no more Justice League there are no more heroes Superman don't stop them all <laughs> Ollie said no. Superman burned his fucking arm off. I love this depiction of Green Arrow. I'm a massive Green Arrow fan. Me too. And this, he's the this, second best DC character. Yeah. I mean, what they've, he's the one, I generally think the new 52 has been a, a, a success, but what they did by sort of de-aging him and changing him, they're now sort of having to almost completely wreck on that already because... Age him up? Well, not not age him up, but Make sort him of an old his, liberal? Yeah, change his attitude and change the way he works. Because they, they turned him in the new 52, they turned him into sort of a, like a Tony Stark, light, environmentalist, whiny little dick, basically. <laughs> and it, it just... It was so, it was, it was, they want, I, I guess they were aiming for halfway between the TV series and the old depiction and they got neither. They got halfway away from both 
you know, it was, it's, it was a really strange thing. But I mean, they've sorted it out now. Jeff Lemire's doing a, a brilliant job with it these last few issues. But I, I just love Green Arrow in this. The sort of, the wily old, you know, he's still got his old sensibilities and, uh, I, I just, I love the idea of, of him and Bruce just sitting in Wayne Manor, drinking brandy and just whinging <laughs> on for hours and hours, you know. Fucking Superman. Yeah, I just really love that idea. Love that idea. <laughs> The, the first time I read this, I had no idea who Green Arrow was. However, I've recently become a bit of a devotee of uh, Green Arrow myself. You're welcome. And then go, uh, <laughs> thank you. Uh, and then go, I've, I've got shitloads of it now. <laughs> I've read so much of it. Um, and going back and reading it, this again, you know, uh, recently, having, you know, knowing exactly who so many more of these characters are, particularly, uh, particularly Oliver Queen. Uh, yeah, it was fantastic. It was great to see him that way. Just the fact he's only got one arm and he's still managing to keep going and he's still managing, even just, Using his teeth, yeah. he's determined to keep fighting, <laughs> fighting it, privilege and, and these and, and the politicians and all the rest. Of it. It's, yeah, absolutely fantastic. He's, he's just an utter bastard. You know, he's one of those people who, if you actually knew him in real life, would just wind you up because he would always be ta- talking, you know, taking a political edge on it. It'd be argumentative, it'd be bitter, it'd be sour. But when you read it on the page, it's just fantastic. You know, I, I absolutely I adore Green Arrow. Sorry, I'm going on and on about Green Arrow when we're speaking about Batman. It's interesting to see someone who's really right wing handling someone who's a character who's really left wing. Yeah, and effectively, he's he's still standing up for the little guy. Um, Miller muddies the waters in between. Ollie and Bruce have argued and argued in the past. They've clashed, but it would appear that even in their old age, they're able to get on for these key moments. And, well, you've got, and not just get on. Ollie joins him at the end. He's like, yeah, I'm totally down with this. The thing is, you've got one guy who's, who's right wing and another guy who's left wing, but mm. both of them are, are united in the fact that they, they disagree with <laughs> fundamentally <laughs> yeah. Superman in the middle. Yeah. You know, he's, he's, yeah, they're three points of a triangle, really, but uh, they're, they're, they unite against the, what they perceive to be the common, not evil, yeah. but the, the common enemy in, in uh, Superman. Well, see, Reagan was super right-wing as well, so I don't know why Batman's not totally behind it, but ultimately, I think he wants to be able to make the decisions himself, and if, if, uh, if Reagan's making, and, and the, uh, the Reagan, uh, government are making all the decisions and using Superman as their hammer to exert any, uh, control required, then all choice gets taken away from the rest of America and indeed the rest of the world. Yeah, it's a control issue. Batman is the ultimate, ultimate control freak in yeah. every aspect of his life, in how he's set about his mission, how it starts, how it ends. He is the ultimate control freak. So to see the most powerful person he's ever met in his entire life being used as a puppet by people who, by rights, he could pick up and screw their head off like he were taking the top off a bottle, he cannot. He cannot understand that. He cannot get his head around that sort of mentality, mm. and th- that's why the the sort of I don't. I wouldn't even class it as as anger. It's almost a disgust. Mm. It's almost a you know you've you've let yourself become this. Yeah, you know? and it's it's because Bruce knows what Superman was and what he could be in terms of of being a symbol as well as a you know a, a physical force so to see him being puppeted by you know the president and being a political prisoner it just in bruce's mind it makes not one iota of sense there's nothing about it he can reconcile or understand 
And it all leads up to the one moment where uh, Ollie, <laughs> ironically clad all in grey overalls, uses a green arrow. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, that's the point where um, Batman says, I can get to you. Even the most powerful man on the planet, I can get to you. I could have killed you at this point. I didn't. Don't get in my way. The only thing I missed is they didn't show Green Arrow firing the arrow with his teeth. Yeah, it was supposed to be with his teeth. How do you animate that, though? Yeah, it doesn't I, even make sense. No, it, it would have been ridiculous, but I still missed it. I think I suppose people, uh, you know, observing the fact that he only had one arm, would say, "How did he fire that?" <laughs> Clever dick with with, <laughs> with his teeth. But anyway, the the actual um, uh, the showdown between Superman and Batman. Whatever you want to argue against it, you know, well, there's no way B- uh, Batman uh, would survive in a fight against Superman. Superman's holding back. He could destroy Batman, but he doesn't because he doesn't literally want to destroy Batman. He's uh, yeah, Batman is holding back absolutely nothing at this stage. He is uh, pounding Kal-El into the dirt, and he is uh, feels like he's on the side of right. And maybe somewhere deep down, Kal-El's wondering maybe you're right if you're this angry with me and I'm not I've done some things I'm not proud of then yeah he's for, for once in his life Kal-El is not fighting on the side of righteousness Batman's always prepared yeah that's that's what it comes down to also he's got this Iron Man Mark 1 armour <laughs> well yeah but Superman is so reliant on his physicality that he'll go into any situation and just believe worse you know push comes to shove he can punch his way out of it mm. and what I love about this sequence in the book um, I actually, this is one aspect which I actually prefer in the book in a way, because there are there's about half a minute of being punched through buildings and being punched through walls in the film, uh, which I don't like. I love the fact in the book you do actually get a bit of the monologue as Bruce is systematically just breaking him down, following a plan to the absolute letter. To the literally, you know, he's checking his watch. It's it's to the second, mm. and just breaking him down layer on layer. I, I just, it is exactly how it would happen, you know. I, and I know we've 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 punched Frank Miller a lot during this in a lot of different ways but this this sequence in the book is just fantastic it's, it's some of the best Batman ever ever written so what Bruce has done is written down a battle plan where he has anticipated Cal's every move and counted it already I will do this Cal-El will counter with this I will then do this so as you say he's planned it out to the second given that Superman's not trying to destroy him he's very predictable to Bruce so I actually, it seems like a fight that that I, I believe. Well, there's also the fact that Superman's still weak from the nuclear blast mm. uh, because obviously that that all very nearly killed him. I mean, that was that was as close as he's come to death, I think, ever. I uh, couldn't explain yeah, that to Lyra. He turned yeah. into a zombie and <laughs> I don't plus know. the Krypton. I mean, that then he got plus wet. The Krypton, the Krypton, plus the Kryptonite and plus the, the Sonic. Yeah. Plus it, the fact it, it, that they're fighting at midnight as well, remember. So he's he's not getting any additional power from the sun at any point. Yeah. And this is this is Batman's you know, this is his <coughs> world now. He's used to fighting in the dark and, and he's you know, he's almost his home turf if you like. Yeah. All that does does it levels the playing field. I didn't have any issues with this at all. No. It's absolute book and film, it's it's utterly believable, but I, I I genuinely believe this is a sequence that you should read 
you should read at some point, even if you read nothing else of the book, and you can skip large sections of it, and you're you're missing nothing. But this really having that little bit of monologue does really add to it, in my opinion. Well, I found the end of the book, the, this whole end section, so much better than the early parts because you've got less yeah. of the talking head stuff. What yeah. you have got is is sort of interspersed with the rest of the story and works well. But you've got so many of those nice big splash pages, which is where the best of the art is. I mean, yeah. the, the one where Batman's on the on the horse is one of my favourite pages <laughs> yeah. from a comic ever. It looks awesome. Uh, just the whole bit is so much better to read. And as you say, it, it looks amazing in, in the comic. It looks great in the film. And uh, yeah. It's uh, it's much better than the early parts. I really like the the the, f- the showdown at the end is fantastic. Yeah. If this film uh, slash book had just sort of petered out and it's like Batman going right, I've won then, and now I'm Batman again, it would have been an awfully tepid story in the end, especially uh, over time. But because of the ending and and actually for the first time killing Batman and then bringing him back was really significant. And it, it, it felt like something that could actually happen organically and naturally, that he would, at age 55, push himself too far while fighting Superman and could just die of natural causes. I think one of the things I like the most about it is when uh, Cal's at the grave and he talks to Gordon and Gordon says, did you know him? I'm not sure. That seems about right. In that that's how Bruce slash Batman holds people. He doesn't ever get to the point where they feel that they know him. Kel walks away with Bruce's death on his conscience, and then he gets the heartbeat. (laughs) And then he turns around, he looks at Carrie Kelly, and then he does a little wink. Like, okay, I get it. But because Bruce has said, okay, I could have killed you right there, I didn't, don't get in my way. There's kind of this understanding of, uh, okay, actually, I respect that you have gone to these ridiculous lengths here. And, and yeah, I want you to remember the one guy who beat you. All of Wayne's secrets, his methods and tools in his decades as the Batman died with him as Wayne Manor burned to the ground. The fire was apparently set by his butler, who himself died of a stroke at the scene. Every penny of Wayne's wealth, all of his accounts and financial holdings have also disappeared. Amen. You've got some nerve showing up here. I know who killed him, damn you! Selena, don't. It's no use. Let's go. Were you a friend? I think so. I honestly couldn't say. Sounds about right. Just that whole ending, the symbolic rebirth and the decision to actually, and the line, all these years I've been looking for a good death, this will be a good life. That was an addition for the uh, films. They nailed it with that right there. 
the idea that he has now embraced what he can do without actually going out into the field and doing the punching himself. Although he's teaching these pecker woods how to be Batman. Uh, that Again, that's in no way compares to the symbolism of getting uh, a Robin or a Terry McGuinness uh, to, to don the mantle and to actually take this symbolic role. Um, it's like he's setting up franchises now. It's like he's branching out and yeah. it, it as as an end to the Batman legend and a new beginning it works absolutely perfectly yeah that that line is basically a bastardization of the the monologue at the end you know and he says this will this will be a good life and I think it ends he says um, good enough and it's just a headshot with him with a just the, the faintest sort of sign of a smile on his face and it is a Yes, it's it's a great. It, the the last sort of uh, you know section of the book is is by far and away it's it's of a for my money anyway. It's just it's from a different planet in terms of artwork and writing and pacing to the rest of the book. And uh, you know the the film captures it perfectly. Don't get me wrong, but I do think you you miss something by not at some point going back to the book and just reading that bit. I think of all of them, I might actually buy this fourth book on Comicsology just to uh, to read it panel by panel. And that it's funny you say that because that is exactly what I was going to say when we sort of get to the end to wrap this section up. That's mm-hmm. exactly what you should do. Buy buy. I I mean, you, I think you could buy the last two, the last two, the Joker confrontation, and then um, you know the the build up to it, and then the final book. Yeah. You know, are worth reading. The first two are. I mean, at times they just plod. The whole Harvey Dent thing just plods and plods and plods and plods. And then, you know, suddenly you get this contrivance and then suddenly you get an ending that you can see coming from a mile away. And it is that I said it in the article, that the overriding feeling you get from the first half is meh, you know. But then it picks up pace, you know, and by the end it's just like, it, it, it really gripping, you know. I would like to see a version of it uh, with the full monologue. Um, Kevin Smith sort of mentioned, hey, we should do this. Uh, edit together both parts, take out the title cards, and um, have Peter Weller read all of the monologue stuff and just um, uh, splice it in. All of the bits where it just really, there is no space to actually cram it in, maybe lose those, but get it as close as possible to the original book. I'd like to see that actually happen. I'd like to watch that all in one go. Yeah, but you have to bear in mind that some of the monologue in the book is is absolute arse gravy. Yeah. I, I, I'm not saying the monologue was good, and I'm saying right now I prefer it without. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs> yeah. But I, I love the idea of getting things as close to the book as possible, but just bringing it up to another medium. Because as far as I'm concerned, graphic novels to me are just storyboards waiting to become animation. <laughs> yeah. Well, I th- we'll we'll go on to talk about a book later that is exactly that. Yeah. Uh, Matt, any more on the films or The Dark Knight Returns in general? Uh, only echoing really what uh, what Dave already said, which is that the, I really like the story in the novel, but I just really don't like the art. Now, uh, I, I did it when I first read it. I thought it was amazing, and then I've read loads of comics since, and I've realised what a good comic looks like, and I really don't like the art style in this. It, the film, however, I love it. It looks amazing. It tells the same story, but it looks fantastic. The, the film is the way to go. It's very, very smooth and muscular oh, yeah. without being grotesque. That's probably a good way of putting it, actually. 
Not grotesquely muscular. <laughs> muscular, but not grotesque. Not not deformed. Yeah. It's an athlete, but not one of those guys who looks like a condom full of walnuts. <laughs> you know Batman, the Dark Knight Returns. Not a condom full of walnuts. And on that bombshell... Now, y'all know Kevin Smith's a big old fat man, but did you know his favorite hero is Batman, the Dark Knight who punches dirty turkeys in the face? That's right, Cape Crusader. Punch all those turkeys. Punch them in their turkey necks. So once a week, now this no fly list fatty's gonna put the food down and get chatty about fatty, and this turkey gets wordy about Gotham like it's a real place. He ain't got time for his wife or daughter. Catwoman's losing Batman and Carter. Go get a Cape Crusader. You want a pussy on now? <laughs> get ready, Turkeys. We gon' bat shit. Babbling bat the bat with old Kevin Smith. Now here's the fat man who loves Batman himself, Fat Kev Smith. Get on out here, Turkey. Uh, this is tits right here, man. It clears and then could you imagine? Look, he doesn't even fucking move. Like, yeah. they found a way to do Superman cool. Superman's a tough character to do cool because it's kind of like doing Jesus. And Jesus is tough to do cool as well. <laughs> He's got a lot of powers and stuff. And you know, ultimately, uh, you know, he can do anything. He's, yeah. and, and so how do you write a story for that? You know, there's one fucking like Jesus, you know, Jesus has the cross. Superman's got cruci- uh, kryptonite. That's right. his fucking weakness and shit. But other than that, I love this too, dude. He just fucking punched a woman in the face <laughs> in a kid's cartoon, man. Like that's not, and granted she's a bad woman and she's fucking a killer. And, and yeah. look, the not, the swastikas on the titties alone warrant a punch in the face, but that's fucking intense. It's so weird, man. Now we should probably shout out at this point. Oh, but see, and even though I don't like those dolls, dude, I like this it's whole sequence awesome. and I like this. See, I like them going back and forth with all the gas and shit. And again, at least they did the right thing. They don't have them talk in the book. They fucking talk, dude. They interact and they call the fucking dude that makes them mean names. He's a heavy <laughs> dude. And that always bugged me. <laughs> Why would you invent talking robots that can fly who will also give you sass? You got to fucking hate yourself <laughs> to, to fucking like, I'm going to program them with insults. <laughs> Batman's coming out of the fucking tank. Watch this movement. I love this so much. I rewind it. Bang. Watch that. Watch how fast he goes. But it's this shot. He looks like a desert bird, dude. He looks like a road runner. And that's a ima- that's how you imagine a older Batman would move. He's fast, but like you say, he's still got some fucking like girth to him, some some weight in the steps. I love that transition where like, well, he can't hide from what's coming and boom, fucking Superman shows up. Ralph pointed out in Hollywood Babylon that that said detected. <laughs> but fuck it, it's still genius. Um this is where Batman tests Superman. This whole fucking sequence is astounding, man, and and played out rather well, and and mapped out incredibly yeah, well. The action is so tight; it's always been. I mean, throughout Look at that little movies. smile, and that <laughs> yeah. comes from a line in the book where he's just like, you know, I watched the missiles kick him around for a while. I've had worse times. <laughs> so instead of doing that, you cut to a little shot of Batman with just the slightest smile, going like, "I knew the missiles would work." <laughs> Teehee. I've never seen anything like it. Never yeah. seen anything nearly as satisfying. In other, other medium and not just saying like, that's to me, that fight's better than Rocky and fucking, uh, Club of Lion. <laughs> I mean, that fight's definitely better than Batman and Bane in the fucking movie. Yeah. Um, it, you got, it got, it feels like, feels like 10 minutes, maybe six or eight or something in real time. But it flies. It, oh, it's, it's, they did, they outdid themselves. And I, I feel bad 
that this is getting more fucking props. Like, this, everybody should be talking. I hope the whole comic book community is talking about this. Like, they did, they did the impossible. They fucking took a masterpiece and they made another masterpiece. Um, almost never happens. Now, almost never happens. And a lot of attention was paid this year to Mr. Nolan and, and mm-hmm. the Dark Knight Rises because much more money was spent and a very successful franchise, blah, blah, blah. But this is the best Batman movie that came out last year, this year, or any fucking year. I don't care. Even if Quentin was like, you know what? I'm going to do a Batman movie. Nobody's ever going to make a better Batman movie than this. The source material was brilliant. And the execution, the elevation mm-hmm. of the source material was absolutely brilliant. Like, I'm not saying cash it in, never watch another Batman thing. No, watch everyone give it their best and do their interpretations. But I, myself personally, I don't think I will ever find any Batman movie, TV show, cartoon, whatever the fuck, so fucking Saturday Night Live sketch, my fucking YouTube sketch, uh, fantasy I have, nothing will ever be as good as this in terms of taking Batman to the screen. You should put it in theaters. For right? like a week, like even just for a week. Just give us a screening, dude. Like give us a, pick one place, like fucking, hey man, at the arc light, the mm-hmm. big the, at the dome, mm-hmm. we're doing a three hour back to back, you know, we'll take out the title cards and just smash that motherfucker together. Boom. And show you the whole movie. I pay to see that. And we will be back very soon with Batman's history in graphic novel form. Should we just briefly mention the sequel? Um, are we going to do that in the graphic novels, or no, is it actually that, more pertinent is that not here? Gonna be as simple, I've not read it, but is that not going to be as simple as, what about the sequel? It's shit, don't bother. Well, well the, we need to say okay. why it's shit. Uh, basically, the, I've got a whole section down the bottom here of extra supplemental what not to read. There's only two books on it, and it's fucking Frank Miller again. It's the thing is, what he's what he's done is he's he's thought, oh, wouldn't it be really clever if the first book was all about darkness and blacks and greys and blues, and the second book was all about day glow colours and yellows and reds and greens? And what he doesn't realise is it's just a a fuck about green. It it, like when you read it, literally, if you if you pick it up, if you are unfortunate enough to pick this up at some point, you can you can literally go from page to page, and it's just a massive psychedelic colours, and you've got this awful depiction of. Lex Luthor, who has now put on, he's basically looks like Wilson Fisk. He looks like, <laughs> where he's just, why does everyone in his story do nothing but eat pie? And he, <laughs> he, he traps, uh, he traps Batman and uh, it all turns out to be a big plan and the, the Joker comes back in a form and it's, ah, oh, it's actually dick. Oh, it's just, it is. I mean, Kerry Kelly gets put in rollerblades and kicks the shit out of guys, exactly like Miho in the fifth Sin City book. Uh, yeah. All she does is kick the shit out of guys in uh, rollerblades. That's it. Well, that, you... that was during this phase when Frank Miller was only interested in lithe females kicking the fuck out of rapists wearing <laughs> rollerblades. Yeah, and Ball straight with... away, straight away, Carrie Kelly, uh, Carrie Kelly in that That's sequence. She's suddenly wearing a cat print suit. She's also suddenly become slightly sexualized. And they break the atom out. She and became actually, the whore. Yeah. 
it, she, it, they break the atom out and it actually starts at good pace and you think the overriding feeling is well this could be alright but who the fuck has coloured this they must have been on mountains of acid because yes, it's just it's all <laughs> over the place but then by the time you get to the end of it you just realise this is just an utter utter mess it's a bloke who has been asked to write a sequel or believes he had a sequel got halfway through and, and realised he didn't and it is just, I mean, honestly, it's a train wreck of a book. And the, the ending with the, the whole Dick Grayson, uh, uh, it is just, I mean, it's, I would rather shave me arsehole with a butter knife hours on end than read this again. It's, it is, in places. I promise I'll never have to make you choose. Well, it's, it's, the, it's just so stupid. I mean, it's, it's, I thought, I, I mean, I won't get ranting about that, but there's some stupid stuff in Man of Steel, the film, but that if you want real stupid, like pure dumb, no then read does. Strikes Again. <laughs> well, you say that, but it, it was it was a success on the back of, of back of this, and people believe it as a sequel, and it's not. It is, it, oh, it's honestly. It's not a sequel than uh, Quest for Peace is a sequel to uh, Superman, the original movie. Yeah, it's it's just I mean and half the characters you can't recognise them from panel to panel. The artwork is so bad, there is so <laughs> little effort going in. It looks like honestly, it looks like he sat down at his, his drawing board with a pair of fucking boxing gloves on and an emulsion brush and gone, right, let's see what sort of detail I can get out of this. It's it's pitiful, it's woeful. But, you know, if, if you do want to read it, go out and buy it, kids. The other one not to read, which is very closely linked to this, I started reading a couple of years ago. I got about three issues in and went, this is fucking awful. And this was hard to realise because Jim Lee did the artwork. It's Frank Miller again. All-star Batman and Robin the Boy Wonder. Oh, yeah, well. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Dave, do you want to describe what happens in this book? Well, yeah. <laughs> Just to ward Matt off ever going anywhere near it. Right. <laughs> and any other listeners. We begin... Bear with, in mind, Jim Lee is my favourite artist ever. We begin with basically a kidnap, because what happens... <laughs> Dick Grayson's parents die. Straight on. This is this is the opening of the book. So Batman basically kidnaps him, throws him into the Batmobile, roars off into the night without, you know, a thought of consequence that he's actually just taken a ten-year-old child, which... If I go down to nip down to the high school down the road and nick a ten-year-old child, how would you, you know, have a ten-year-old child in a high school? Well, I, lower school then. <laughs> first, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm glad sure. you haven't given the local school that much thought. <laughs> it's going to cause it's going to cause a ripple, right? So Batman, even if you say him, you're the goddamn Batman, yeah, drives him back to the cave. All the way back, he's moaning because this kid doesn't seem to be enjoying it. Bear in mind, he's smacking the kid his, around as well. Just watched his parents die, so the best way Batman can deal with that is to give him a clip round the ear. Right? They get back to the cave. Put your whining, you little bastard. They get back to the cave, and he leaves him in the cave, and he leaves him to to feed himself. With, basically, at one point, he says to him that he needs to feed himself on the rats that are down there. You know, and and. Let's be honest, Dick Grayson does the right thing, turns around and calls him a c- bad person. I mean, they <laughs> took that line out in a lot of the collected editions now. But I tell you what, it, it, you call a c- bad person a c- bad person. Batman at that point is being a cunt. Bad person. Right. <laughs> so you then move on, you get this really weird 
depiction of Batman running round and oh, don't forget the really weird depiction of Diana Lance. Well, hang that on, canary, hang on. We're getting to that. We're getting to that. Don't you worry about that, my I won't, son. I won't, right. <laughs> so then we've got this really weird depiction of a Batman running round Gotham, almost <laughs> getting off on the fact he is, as he says, the goddamn Batman. He is. He he comes. He does everything but flop his cock out and wank himself off there and there. Honestly, it's that, it's that bad. That bad, right? <laughs> then you get this Black Canary backstory comes in and she is this fetishized blonde with this unbelievable outfit, hair down to her back, uh, long leather boots, immediately, fishnets. of course. Yeah, fishnets. Attracts the attention of an Irish rapist. Immediately falls in love with Batman. They end up shagging in the costumes. It's, again, it is just a... Uh, I love the way you slap kids around and make them eat rats. Pump me. Yeah, but this, this, is, the, <laughs> this is literally it. Frank Miller thinks that Batman would kidnap this kid who's just watched his parents die, kick the shit out of him in the car, tell him he's a whiny little bastard, not understand why he's not enjoying it. He's just watched his fucking parents die. Right. Alfred brings him a cheeseburger and Batman goes, what did you do that for? Yeah. He was almost there with all the rats. And then afterwards, you know, like Alfred's having to look after him and feed him in secret. And then eventually Dick Grayson sort of, the, what he proves himself worthy of Bruce's attention by, you know, basically becoming a little maniac. You know, he's gone from being a little circus trapeze boy. To being to, Damien? Well, no, he's not, he's not Damien. He's more... Oh, by the way, uh, folks, Damien is Batman's son. We'll talk about him in a bit, and uh, he's crazy. Yeah, he's also the best Robin ever. But we'll 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 have that argument. I'll let you. Well, but, no, you can you can say it. I, I I have no recourse against that. I haven't read him as Robin. But the he he just there's no the problem is with the story throughout. It is literally Frank Miller just. It's the worst of Frank Miller coming out on the page with idea after idea after idea. Everyone you say that like it's something consistent. It took years to write. He oh, took years between each issue. Well, uh, Jim it's Lee so claims... They changed the name of it halfway through. Yeah, well, Jim Lee claims that he's got three issues of Volume 2 that are drawn, ready to go, they're, they're inked and everything. And he's, Frank Miller has said at some point he'll come back to it. But it's what, like... Write some words. <laughs> well, it's like, you Just know... Just say, oh, oh, actually, one critic said it would have been better had Jim Lee put out this gorgeous artwork with blank speech bubbles for readers to write their own Batman story in there. Yeah. It, it's, <laughs> I mean, <That's> brilliant. <laughs> write your own hush, sort of. It is, it is just, I mean, you've also, you've got this, uh, depiction. Who's the, who's the girl in it? It's not Lois Lane, it's, uh, oh, it's Vicky uh, Vale. Vicky 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 yeah. She gets so, off blown up and she's dying and Batman's yeah, so, dying. You know, she ends up, she's crashing a car. Of course, she's also, you know, in, in a relationship with Bruce Wayne and she's stunning and she's always in heels and short skirts and, uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Olsen turns up at one point. Out. Jimmy Olsen turns up at one point, doesn't he? And he's in love with her and fetishizes her. It I is, may not have got that. Just, it's, it's, it's Frank Miller wanking into a typewriter and asking somebody who can draw to draw it. 
you know, it, it's that. That's really what it boils down to. It's, it's. I mean, Dark Knight the Strikes. Boy wankens. <laughs> the, the thing is, the Dark Knight Strikes again is just awful from panel to panel. It's terrible. But All Star Batman is just like straight out offensive. Yeah, to every sensibility. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. And it's it's. I mean, it, there is now this thing. It's the goddamn Batman. You know, that's the Miller's. Yeah, it's Frank Miller's Batman, but I mean, Jesus Christ, you would, it, it takes, for me, one of the most likable characters in, in comics, in ah, Dick Grayson. Oh, right, but Dick Grayson, okay, right, sorry. Yeah, and then just shoves him through the ringer in a, again, a really mean-spirited way. And, you know, we come out of it and we're still supposed to root for Batman. You know, he, he's being an, he's being an arsehole and we're supposed to go, yeah, that's all right. I'm enjoying this. Batman's an arsehole. Yeah, nice okay, one. so long story short, don't read it. Yeah. <laughs> well, there, there was why. Yeah. Well, they might get that from my rant. They might not, but... Yeah. <laughs> and we'll be back next week with a comprehensive list of Batman's best graphic novels detailing his entire career. And to play us out, we have the main theme from The Dark Knight Returns, composed by Christopher Drake.
or made them, or maybe make, or mm, <coughs> or the fact. Hang on, <laughs> get it out, Sam. <laughs> or it made, or it made them wait for some mythical bogs, bogs. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. I'm, all, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. And as a special treat for everybody who stayed all the way to the end, coming soon to Gonzo Planet, The Killing Joke. Oh, there you are. Uh, have you had a chance to inspect the property and decide if it's what you're looking for? Well, it's garish, ugly, and derelicts have used it for a toilet. The rides are dilapidated to the point of being lethal and could easily maim or kill innocent little children. Oh, so you don't like it? Don't like it? I'm crazy for it! <laughs> <laughs> 